At this time, I invite you to open your Bibles or your Bible apps. Um, and if you uh, are able, I ask that you stand for the reading of the Gospel. Today, we are in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let us hear what the Holy Spirit has to say on this day. You may be seated. Well, it is time for a new sermon series. Whoop, right? Yay, yay. We're excited uh, to be able to spend the month of September talking about authentic spirituality. What does it mean to walk an authentic uh, spiritual journey. This is especially important, I think, during a pandemic and on final approach to a painful election. However, it turns out, friends, pretty sure this is the time where we need to, to be aware of what God is doing in our lives and how we might invite that even more deeply. I'm going to build each of these sermons around a series of hashtags that are attached to questions that I'm going to encourage you to use for self-reflection each week. If you're brave, you could even do this on social media. I'm not that brave. But I do commit to you that these questions for self-reflection in each of these sermons, I am going to be in holy conversation with some trusted friends. And I would encourage you to do the same. Because it is in that time of self-reflection and considering uh, what our, our community has to say to us that we grow. And that's so important. It's really important right now that we get it right. So here's the first question. What have the last six months been like for you in your relationship with God? Now I can't see those of you that are on the live stream, but for those of you that are here in the sanctuary, what would you give it? Would you give it a thumbs up? Would you give it a eh? Would you give it a thumbs down? Yeah, okay, okay. I expect it's, it's gonna be mixed, right? Some of us have experienced the pandemic and we have deepened our faith, our commitment, our ability to be in relationship with God. Others of us are a little frayed around the edges. In fact, some of us have experienced this to be so difficult in our faith that it's really tattered at this point. It's not frayed. It's, it's just tattered. It's torn apart into pieces so small you wonder how you will ever put them back together again. But I think the first thing we need to do is just sort of take our own temperature internally self-reflecting and say, what have the last six months been like for us in our relationship with God? 
because of some of the conversations that I've been privileged to have over those six months, this is my hunch. My hunch is that for many, maybe not the majority, but for many of you, it's been hard. And from a place of honesty then, I want to invite us to remind ourselves of what we know is true. Anytime we're experiencing a difficult, uh, a difficult part of our spiritual journey, it's important sometimes to go back to the basics, right? To, to remember what do we know is true. So, so let's remember that the spiritual life is a journey. It is not necessarily in a straight line, but it is a journey. And the goal of our journey in the spiritual life is to make it from here to there. Okay? So I want to define for us this morning here and there. In the spiritual life, the contrast between here and there is best defined in Galatians chapter 5, um, particularly starting about verse 19. So it really, you have to read all of chapter 5 of Galatians to, to get the force of Paul's argument here. But what he ends up with at the end of chapter 5, he talks about the fruit of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And he's very powerful in the way he contrasts those uh, two different realities. Uh, a few years ago, I learned that Dallas Willard would translate the word flesh. When we read that in the English, obviously it wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek. He says that a better translation is our natural planning and abilities. Whenever we are trusting in our own ability to make the right decisions, this is the fruit that results from that. Now, if you're reading in the NRSV, here's what it says. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Indicating that there's probably more to that list. Okay? So that's here. Whenever we're trusting in our own natural planning and ability, this is what it looks like. And this is where I think sometimes a paraphrase can be helpful. You could look at, at many different paraphrases, but of course it's not a translation. It's someone's idea who's many times reading the original language, but trying to put it in the language of our day. So I'm choosing the paraphrase, the message this morning, so that you can see how Eugene Peterson, Eugene Peterson would interpret here. What does here look like? Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods. Magic show religion. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. I could go on. 
he says. Does that sound familiar? Maybe just a little bit. So, so when we're trusting in our own natural planning and abilities, when, when our flesh, our humanness, is driving our bus, friends, that's what it looks like. That's here. Okay? Now, what the Apostle Paul wants you to know in Galatians chapter 5 is that that's not where you're supposed to stay. That's not what God has for you. Amen? Amen. God has for you there. Right? And he says that's the fruit of the Spirit. When instead of trusting in your own natural planning and abilities, instead you are leaning in to God's goodness and grace in your life and it shows forth fruit like the New Revised Standards says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Again, I think a paraphrase might be helpful. Affection for others exuberance about life. When's the last time you all were exuberant about life? I'm just asking, you know. Serenity. When's the last time you you felt serenity? He says, we develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments not needing to force our way in life, and we are able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Do you see the difference? Paul is really trying in Galatians chapter 5 to point a contrast between here and there. But our gospel lesson does it even better. From Jesus, his compelling picture of there, did you hear it? He said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's there. That's where we're headed. That's what a a life filled with the Spirit, that's what it looks like. You love your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you. And finally, did you hear what he said? He said, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you feel the goal in that? Sort of the, that's where we're going right? So now we come to the second question. Where do we get off track as we move from here to there? Hashtag off track. This question comes with an honest acknowledgement that even if a pandemic has strengthened our relationship with God, we all have times in life where we get off track. We were moving from here to there and something happened. My observation tells me that we probably are more off track now because when I watch our public discourse, it looks a lot more like here than it does there. Just noting my observation there, friends. So I wonder, I wonder if we've gotten off track somewhere. I think the journey metaphor continues to provide helpful insights into why we get off track. And think about it if you're driving a car, right? Sometimes you hit a pothole. Do you remember the last time you hit a pothole? Let me ask, were you expecting that? No, right? You hit a pothole and you're like, oh, (laughs) what just happened? It often will come out of nowhere and it means an expensive trip to the mechanic, to keep your car safely on the road, right? And that happens in the spiritual life too sometimes, doesn't it? 
You know, you weren't expecting it, and just bam, and you were off track. Other times, we get off track by really more of a gradual drift. We don't even know we're off track until we start to hit those little bumps on the side of the road, you know, that tell you, wake up, pay attention, you're not on the, the lane you think you are anymore, right? And we go, wait a minute, what, what, what? We have to kind of wake up again. But then other times, it's like there are external circumstances like rain or fog. You remember the last time you had to drive in, in really hard rain? It's different than driving in the sunshine. Amen? Yeah. It's like this external circumstance has really changed what your journey is like. And fog, can we even go there? I mean, driving in fog, I want you to think about the last time that happened to you because my argument this morning, friends, is that we may have potholes or we may slowly drift off track and that may happen in our own individual lives, but every single one of us is dealing with a fog right now that kind of came out of nowhere and it's obscuring our road. We don't get to see very far ahead of us. It's called a pandemic. And it changes the journey. So here's what I'm going to suggest. When I'm driving in fog, I find it helpful to pull over. Anyone else? Let's just wait, right? Till the sun kind of burns this off and we can see a little bit harder. But I'll tell you one thing I don't do, even if I can't pull over, I don't speed up. I don't charge even further towards my destination. So I'm going to suggest, maybe we just pull over for the next four weeks. Let's get our map back out. Maybe we even need to call a trusted advisor or two. Maybe we need to make sure our fog lights are working properly. We need to get clear about there. This is the place where God is calling us because God knows we're going to be so much better there than we are here. So here's our third question. Why do we insist on control of this journey? Hashtag control. I don't know the answer to that. I probably really need to spend some time with this. I would encourage all of us to do that. But I do know this. Control and its birth mother pride are huge obstacles in the spiritual life. In fact... What I've discovered is that you will never get from here to there when control is standing in your way. And yet, the more we try to remove this obstacle on our own, the more it roots itself into our soul. And you know, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense. When you, when you know you need to give control over to God and you try harder to give control over to God, you're actually trying to be more in control. Right? And, and so it, it's sort of this vicious cycle once, once control enters into that. Friends, if you want to turn control over to God, you don't do that by trying harder. Let that sink in for a moment. Because it brings me to a discovery that I made about a year ago, and it's not original to me. Many ancients in the faith, namely Jesus and Paul and Bill W., for those of you that are familiar with the 12 steps, they got this a long time ago. I happen to be a slow learner. But when this revelation opened itself to me, there were so many light bulbs that just kind of lit up, and I went, oh, wow, that illumines my path. 
of the spiritual journey in such a powerful way that I wanted to have an opportunity to share it with you. And here is my revelation. We have the right steps to get from here to there. The church teaches them to us all the time. The problem is we get them in the wrong order. Okay, let me say that again. We have the right steps to get from here to there, but we have them in the wrong order. So I went ahead and and just as I was trying to play with this and work with this, I wrote down the steps on a piece of newsprint. Because what I realized is there's usually this moment for all of us, and sometimes repeatedly, where we get tired of being here. And we say, I just can't be here any longer. And when we become frustrated enough that we're willing to overcome our apathy, our denial, our inertia, we always begin at the bottom of this list. We pull up our bootstraps and we say, I'm going to choose what God asks. Surely that'll make things go better for me, don't you think? And then, not only that, I'm going to act on it. I'm going to do what God tells me to do because I just can't stay here any longer. And we always fail. And we give up. And usually we become a touch more hardened to ever trust God again. You know, God, I tried. I I tried to do what you wanted me to do and and it didn't work out. And I I just don't want to do that anymore. What I'm going to suggest to you, friends, is that we start in the wrong place. Instead, I'm going to suggest that we start at the top of the list. Know God's goodness and trust that it is true. And I'm also going to suggest that we come back to that step anytime we get off track. So here's the fourth and final question for today. What does trust require? If we are trying to trust in God's goodness so that we will know, deep know, that it is true, what does that require? What does trust require? Well, you can think about it in your human relationships. What makes it easier for someone to trust you? What I've discovered is it, it always takes time. It is not, trust is not given in a moment. Okay? It takes time. It takes repeated experience. It takes feeling respected. And it has this element of gentleness to it. You know this to be true, but let me share it with you anyway. You don't force someone to trust you. You cannot make someone else trust you. All you can do is do your very best, and in that, you're inviting them to trust you. Do you feel the difference? It's a gentle move, a gentle overture. This is the gesture that I like to think of if I'm trying to get someone to trust me. This is the gesture. Let me invite you. Let me extend to you. As we wrap up today, I want you to imagine God extending a hand to you this morning. There's nothing forced. God is not angry, upset, or disappointed with you. God is simply inviting you to come to a place of rest and trust. Instead of trying harder, Perhaps God is inviting us to try softer. Next week, we're going to begin our journey through those steps in the right order. But for now, I want to reflect on the questions that I've asked you.
What have the last six months been like for you in your relationship with God? Really? Where do we get off track as we move from here to there? Why do we insist on control in this journey? And what does trust require? We're going to get from here to there, friends, I promise you, even in the middle of a pandemic. You know, a pandemic is not too big for God. Have, have we forgotten? Maybe, right? But God is faithful and can move us from here to there. And, and we will get there. We will. But for, day, for today, I'm going to invite us to make a pit stop at the table. Let's take some time this morning to receive God's goodness so that we can trust that it is true. Amen.